Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. We've gone and seen this Hasbro theme feature. We're excited to talk about it. We're also going to look at some upcoming trailers, things that are coming out that you need to see. I know we did Trailer Park just last week, but there's a lot of trailers coming out. There's a lot of movie news. We're getting into summer hot, movies. It's a hot week. I was going to say April hit, and yesterday, tons of new movie news, posters, trailers, snippets teasers news just hit getting ready for uh, the big summer movie season it's true there is no better time to go to the movies and there's no better time to subscribe to your boys at off script to keep you up on movie news uh we're also gonna talk about novelty or navalny i'm sorry jesus navalny uh this is a little known documentary i think by the general public it actually won best doc at the oscars uh, just this year it is stellar it is so great it's about alexei navalny uh, a member of the opposition party in russia he was poisoned there's a whole dude there's spy espionage stick around for the navalny review it's great stuff i keep wanting to say navalny and that's not it uh before we get to all that when you talk about the news before we get to the news i need to do a brief introduction we have a guest on the show this week andy who i haven't haven't introduced yet normally i just start out with them who is it <laughs> Who could it be? Uh, it's my significant other, Christine, partner in crime. Hey. Welcome, Christine. Hello. <laughs> I don't believe it. 211 episodes, and finally you're here. You've made it to the big leagues. How do you feel, kid? Kid? Um, <laughs> fine, because you brought me on to talk about one of my favorite things in the world, so we're good. Yes. Uh, Andy and I uh, are not Dungeons & Dragons players. I played in the past. Andy might have played in the past. I, don't know. Uh, I haven't really. It's fine. But uh, we figured if we're talking about Dungeons & Dragons, we need somebody who plays. Fortunately for me, my cool wife plays all the time. She's our, she's our resident expert this week. So for everything we can't answer about the game, she's got us covered. But before we get into Dungeons & Dragons, we got to talk about the news. Uh, our first story this week, uh, Shrek 5 is coming soon to a theater near you. At least DreamWorks is trying desperately to get it back in theaters. Uh, Puss in Boots, the last movie, did fantastic. Way better than I think they thought a legacy Shrek property was going to do. And now, Illumination CEO and Des Despicable Me director Chris Mel Melodondri says it's happening. And he also wants a donkey spinoff movie. Andy, I know I posted this <laughs> late, late to the outline. Uh, what do you know about this? Oh, gosh. Just that everything under the sun is, is being remade. We have a, a lot of remake news this week. Uh, but yes, they're going to try and bring back the original cast and reboot the Shrek franchise. Probably not you know, reboot the first movie or redo the first movie, but restart the franchise, start it new, have a donkey spinoff. Uh, don the donkey character was famously played by Eddie Murphy, uh, so he would be back. And the rest of the cast still alive. Mike Myers and company still <laughs> still around, alive. So, yeah. Um, yeah, they like you said with the success of the Puss in Boots film, they're looking to revive Shrek and uh, milk this thing for even more money. I'll be honest, Andy and I have not watched the new Puss in Boots movie. It's not that we're against watching kids' movies on the show. Believe it or not, all our news stories this week are actually mostly kid-themed. Uh, and we do watch the occasional animated feature. We just kind of miss this one. Uh, there's a lot of stuff out in theaters, and we didn't really get a chance to squeeze it into the schedule. Uh, but it's a streaming on Peacock. At some point, we're going to have to check it out. Maybe uh, Andy can spring for a Peacock subscription. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he's, be he's between services right now in the best way uh what do you I, I don't know any interest in shrek 5 andy i mean i, I think it'll make money i mean not, not from me but the thing with it with these younger properties is that the the generational shift happens so much sooner um 
you know, basically every 10 years you can have a new one of these Shrek movies and there will be kids alive who weren't weren't around for the previous one. Uh, I don't remember when the Shrek 4 came out, but it was over 10 years ago, I think, at this point. Um, so it's a, like you can remake these movies for a whole new generation much more quickly than kind of a, a more adult property where you might have to wait 20, 25 years or more to remake a property. Most importantly, Shrek has memes, right? It's got all the memes, like the yeah, meme sure. potential of that Sh movie. Shrek, ha nice. Shrek has weird meme magic where it, it's really, really <laughs> beloved by uh, younger generations, like uh, younger millennials and Gen Z, uh, who wouldn't, many of which wouldn't have been alive when the original came out, but it's just like this crazy meme that that shows up all the time and never seems to go out of style. So um, it, it's still relevant with the kids. Yeah, well, speaking of remakes or adaptations, Disney's got something coming down the pipe. But before we get to that, Christine, any hot takes on Shrek 5 coming to theaters? Are you going to go see the donkey spinoff? Are we going to go um, see it, I guess? I'm not going to lie. Um, to me, personally, there's only one good DreamWorks franchise, and that's Kung Fu Panda. They could do okay. 10 of those movies, and I would go see them all. Shrek, on the other hand, the last good one was Shrek 2. So... Yeah, I, they did... This Shrek feels 3 like and a I guess Shrek for Forever me. After, right? Yeah. The, yeah, this feels like a miss for me. And I get that they're coming off the heels of Puss in Boots. But, um, but um, no, I <laughs> I, uh, I just think that I don't, I don't know. I just feel like this might be a miss. Yeah, well, we'll I, it's it's creatively a little bankrupt, but I think I think the memes might carry it. I don't know. All right, next story. Uh, Disney is making a live ad action adaptation. Another one, uh, hot off the heels of The Little Mermaid, coming soon to a theater near you. They're making Moana. Yeah, that Disney animated feature that came out just like a few years ago. Uh, who announced this, Andy? A hot, a hot, a hot actor in Hollywood. None other than Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who I will, will always call The Rock as much as he doesn't want to be called that, uh, announced that they're going to be doing a live action remake of Moana, which is only like six and a half years old. It's not <laughs> it's not been around very long. Usually these live action remakes have been done on much older properties like The Little Mermaid, which comes out in May, Beauty and the Beast those kinds of things that are like 25, 30 years old. Aladdin's a good example and they're doing Hercules, but Moana is, is so recent. I was saying Moana is so recent. There are parents who still have that DVD in the player right now because their kids love that movie <laughs> so much. And it, it seems like just so desperate to do it so soon. It seems like Disney has no creative ideas at the moment. And uh, it's kind of disappointing. It is cool that that you know The Rock and uh, Moana played by, oh gosh, her name's hard to say. Ali uh, Cravalho. Yeah. Yes, uh, will be coming back and reprising their roles in the live action feature. Um, oh, so, okay. I didn't know she was going to be back for it. Yes. That's great. So that's cool because uh, she is, I think, native Hawaiian and uh, she does all the singing in the original animated film. So it'd be exciting, at least exciting to have them back. And I mean, it'll probably be decent, but it's just like, man, like the body's not even cold yet. <laughs> <You're> still... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's telling that you can get the original cast back to just reprise their live action roles because they are so closely aligned with like the characters on screen. Um, because that's who they were cast to play, right? Like she was cast to play this young girl, and he was cast to play this big buff demigod, and here we are. Uh, 
it's weird, man. Like I know Disney's big on the live actions and they're, they're, they're running out for sure of like, they're running out of safe properties they can do on a big budget. Um, you might think that, Oh, well they should do like lady and tramp, but like they did already. It went to Disney plus or like, Oh, they should do Pinocchio. They did already. It went to Disney plus. And there's ones they won't do. Like they won't touch Pocahontas. Uh, song I don't think they do Peter Pan. It won't do song. Of the South. No, they won't do that one. Uh, no. Um, but it seems like they're stepping into doing live action, like of their new, like Disney animated features. Um, I mean, normal, I mean, they're frozen, tangled. This right, Moana. Yeah. Like they haven't touched these three yet. They've been huge hits. All the live action remakes that have hit theaters have all been really successful. Lion King over a billion dollars. Aladdin over a billion dollars. Uh, Cinderella over a billion dollars. Like they, they just work. Uh, yeah. No matter how creatively bankrupt they are, they seem to be. It's weird. I, I remember going to see Moana in theaters with one of the people on this on this episode right now uh we, we went for like a date night it was super chill and i remember liking the film just fine uh lin-manuel miranda did the music for it hot off the heels of like hamilton that was a big deal oh he was coming over and they were gonna get him um it's just weird now to be reading about it like again in like oh it's gonna come out and i i it's gonna be weird because the you can, you can probably pretty closely compare its original box office with like the new return because the market's not all that different it's like pre-covid and post-covid yeah it, it's like i said it's absurdly close to when the original film came out it is i realize we're running long on news but any thoughts on this one christine you're going to see moana uh, i i'll go see it just because i like the animated but disney had a bunch of cult classics even that they could have chosen from so I'm I, yeah. like Andy. I'm also disappointed that this is only like six years old and they've chosen this one. So I, I definitely would have rather watched like live action treasure planet. Right. Or, or Atlantis. Live action, Atlantis. What are the yeah, post like, Renaissance live action brother bear. Would have been <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, our last story this week, uh, HBO may be doing a Harry Potter TV series. Ooh. And we don't talk about TV on the program, but this is directly related to Film like Jason. relatively large films and then three relatively forgettable ones. Yeah, film adjacent. Andy's right. Uh, wh- what What is this about HBO doing Harry Potter TV? Andy, what do you know? So they're looking to do a big series of the Harry Potter franchise uh, and th- where they would basically do each book in a, uh, a season for each book. So there would be seven, possibly eight seasons of the show and they would just go book by book and start from the beginning. I mean, completely re- reboot it. Um I guess you could modernize. You would recast everyone. I, it's kind of weird on HBO though, because Harry Potter is largely an adolescent slash kids property, and HBO is not known for that. So uh, it would have to be a little bit more grown up, but also, yeah, it, it depends on who you, who's your audience. Are you remaking it for Harry Potter adults, or are you trying to do it for the target audience of the original books? Who knows? That's all have to be worked out. But th- this is in the works, and. Uh, HBO and Warner Brothers is looking to milk all their properties, but especially Harry, Harry Potter. Uh, their efforts to expand the wizarding world with Fantastic Beasts uh, has gone really poorly, and so they're kind of going back to the drawing board. Yeah, I know they want to make money on Harry Potter, right? And it's like, you've done the films. Uh, there is a stage play adaptation, given that's written by the author, but still functionally the same universe, same property, right? Uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. There's an amusement park now. The Wizarding World is huge. Um, 
why not make a TV show, right? Like you got the spinoff series, you got the merch. Why, why not go that way? And and Young Adult Lit is very much being adapted into television. Netflix has been all over this, uh, most recently with their series Shadow and Bone. Uh, HBO has dabbled with this. They adapted The Golden Compass uh, to live action television. Um, fortunately, we have somebody on the show this week who is actually pretty well versed in Young Adult Lit, believe it or not. Uh, Christine, hot takes on the Harry Potter TV show. Uh, I, not really, honestly. <laughs> no, no comment. Are you looking honestly, forward? It, it's really just a no comment. I, am I looking forward to it? No. Do I care that it gets made? No. Like, yeah. Yeah, I think people are really lukewarm for a few reasons. Like, number one, the Fantastic Beast didn't, movies didn't do that good. There was a pretty steep decline, like, in ticket sales and interest. Uh, uh, owing not only to its writer, J.K. Rowling, but one of its stars, Ezra Miller, uh, who had some uh, pretty serious problems going into the third movie. Still does, but it's fine. Uh, number two, we already saw the movies, right? Like with Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson and Rupert Grant and, and Alan Rickman and like a stellar cast that did a great job at, at adapting them. And number three, J.K. Rowling has had some issues on Twitter expressing political opinions that a lot of people seem to disagree with. And I think you could put all that in a swirl and like, I just don't think people are going to be that into the Harry Potter show, you know? No, I mean, seeing as the game itself that just came out recently, uh, went up like a yeah. firework. It, yeah, it, it exploded and everybody wanted to play it and I haven't heard <laughs> Nobody talks about it. Yes. It's about dropped it. out. It's totally dropped off now. It went yes. up. It went down. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. Much, much like J.K. Rowling, it fell off. Uh, but uh, rest, rest assured, uh, they're going to do something with it, right? Like Harry Potter is undeniably a popular property. Like I, something's going to happen, yeah. right? Uh, I, Here, here's the thing well, with all these reboots and, and things, and especially with WB, Warner Brothers announcing stuff is I'm waiting for that hot Matrix <laughs> reboot or, or a series. <laughs> when are we, when are we getting the Matrix coming, TV series? You know it is. I, agree. I, I think I'm the Is there only a Matrix person... redo? Uh, <laughs> no uh there's there you four, go <laughs> four, matrix, four matrix movies yeah the matrix redux boom done uh four matrix movies in the animatrix i agree a I'm rich and exciting world i'm the Why only not? one looking forward to it but that's <laughs> that's fine i'd watch it i'll watch it with you it'll be fine we'll do watch parties and everybody will be quiet uh speaking of rich exciting worlds we need to talk about our first film of the episode uh i'm gonna be taking the summer in this one so please excuse uh, my clumsy delivery. The movie is uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. What is that again? It's an owl there. Dungeons and Dragons is a popular board game from company Hasbro. Uh, it's a bit more than a board game. It's got an illustrious history over its like 50 plus years like being played as a fantasy board game where you can imagine yourself as a warrior or a rogue character of sorts. Uh, and, you know, go fight monsters and get treasure, overcome obstacles with your friends. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you almost certainly know what Dungeons and Dragons is, at least have a loose idea. But adapting that into a film is a difficult task, right? How do you adapt something that's so tangibly beloved by a very large portion of the world and more popular now than ever before Dungeons and Dragons is? Uh, how do you turn that into something that people want to watch that's fun and exciting and feels like it reflects the feeling of playing the game while also sharing the trappings of the fantasy world uh, that people imagine themselves to be in in Dungeons and Dragons. It's been tried before. I think, what, 1999 there was a Dungeons and Dragons movie yeah. that like historically bombed 
<laughs> never went anywhere. Uh, there have been adjacent properties, right? You got like uh, Amazes and Monsters back in the day, starring a young Tom, Tom Hanks, or even like Stranger Things on Netflix, which is like very, very openly and honestly like taken elements from Hasbro's game uh, uh, and Wizards of the Coast uh, and, and made things like the Demogorgon into a popular like meme in, in society. But making Dungeons and Dragons into a movie is no easy task. And uh, directors Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly set out to put together a core cast of individual interesting charismatic characters led by chris pine uh to uh become a group of thieves uh, of, of varying origins right you've got chris pine your kind of bard character who's who's roguish and comes up with plans very charming uh you've got michelle rodriguez as your uh Bar barbarian character man i'm really fumbling through this i gotta get out of this intro you, you've got a wonderful cast of individuals we'll talk about in just a minute to, to to become a group of thieves uh who are set out to steal an ancient talisman uh, and hopefully bring a precious someone back from the dead the movie is dungeons and dragons andy what'd you think I had a lot of fun with this. Uh, I was really surprised, or I didn't really know what to think. It, it had one of those kind of middle-of-the-road trailers where there's some fun things, but like it could go either way. It could be a fun, enjoyable time, or it could be hot garbage. And luckily, this was on the on the fun and enjoyable time uh we basically get kind of like a heist movie where we got to put together this team of different fantastical creatures people they have to work through personal issues as well as fantasy challenges work their way they got to get the thing to rescue the person becoming friends working through things on their own and it's it's just it's fun there's really good effects there's good action and adventure it's really funny there's a lot of laughs there's a lot more laughs than than i kind of uh, thought so it, it it rides that careful balance of not being too into the fantasy world like it's not like game of thrones level where everyone's very serious and has like shakespearean lines but it, but it's also not too like quippy or, or too relaxed like you know kind of marvel has become in the, the last few years it, it hits a good balance it's got a great cast chris pine's really fun and really funny i really really had a good time uh christine Hot takes on the D&D movie. What'd you think? Oh, I loved it. I had a, I had a very enjoyable time uh, watching it just because it, like Andy said, it's a fantasy heist. If you like heist movies, go watch it. If you like fantasy epic adventures, go watch it. But um, no, I, I personally liked it because it hit all of those core things that like D&D &D does for me. So with D&D, &D, when you play just like at a table with your friends, it's very much, you think that it's going to be like Lord of the Rings and serious and, you know, everybody's going to take everything serious. No, no, it is a comical adventure with all of your friends at the table. And that's what this movie felt like. It felt like a group of friends just sitting at a table that were playing a game that happened to be this movie. In fact, we, me and Zach discussed it afterwards that like, we thought that it was going to like meta for a second and we might see like, people playing the game but no it it plays itself straight it knows that it's a dungeon dragons movie it knows the history of dungeon dragons and it plays as a, a comical uh fun fantasy adventure with a couple of errors in there that uh make it just make it a fun just a fun movie to go see 
Yeah, I, I think it's got like all of the elements that make a good like summer fantasy adventure blockbuster, mm-hmm. right? You've got big set pieces like with <laughs> large, large fantasy ideals, right? Like big towering cities and larger than life characters and magical artifacts and dungeons and and a dragon yeah. <laughs> and weapons and fighting. Like it's got all the things it needs to have visually uh, you have a great cast of characters uh chris i was getting into a couple of them earlier i got it up on imdb chris pine michelle rodriguez uh Roger jean page from bridgerton uh justice smith sophia lillis hugh grant is in this movie uh it's got a, a sense of humor it's got action it's got adventure but like most importantly i think the thing that really makes this movie work on at its core is its script uh it's written mm-hmm. by directors jonathan goldstein and john francis daly who may not sound particularly familiar one of them is an actor john francis daly was on freaks and geeks and like you probably know him from bones he's one of the assistants on that for like years but in his writing with uh partner jonathan goldstein they've written features like uh horrible bosses and horrible bosses too uh, game night in 2018 which got some cult acclaim spider-man homecoming is their biggest feature they wrote that movie um so they've definitely got like some comedy chops and they're pretty good at telling a story with like characters that are you know relatively likable i think and this is no different like i think this movie works at its best because it's humored by like the world that it's in uh, it doesn't actually step outside of that like christine said i i, I wondered at one point if it was going to be um like he's gonna do like the lego movie gag or he's gonna pull out of the world and be like oh it's really a group of people sitting around a table dungeons and right or like jumanji but it never does that like it never it it, it, well well, i guess i just said it doesn't i probably should have said avoided that as a spoiler but it's fine It, it never like it never takes the time to be like oh this is really a game like it lives in the world it's in and our characters much like um the ghostbusters of all people like they're goofballs like our 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 core cast of like (laughs) thieves are all goofballs but everybody else in the world plays it straight like the world they live in is accurate and this is just really how things are right like this mystical land full of uh uh, people and villagers and royalties and kings and 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 dead people and mages and sorcerers the world of dungeons and dragons is like very rich and i like that not only is there a lot of it but there's notably interesting characters along the way a paladin they run into or a a battlefield where they raise soldiers from the dead to ask them questions like all of that helps it feel like grand and epic and i think that stuff worked really good i think part part of what uh works really well is it doesn't require a lot of homework this is a big issue that marvel's really started to get into now is that you kind of have to have watched all if half to all of the marvel films to kind of know what's going on and because you know characters will show up from other movies or other plots from that are continuing and it can be really hard for new people to get into and dungeons and dragons does a really great job of just throwing you in the world and you just know what's going on you're like these are the good guys these are our bad guys these are our conflict these are kind of rules of our universe these are you know the challenges and conflicts and you can just step right in and know where you are and it doesn't get too in the weeds and the lore of Dungeons and Dragons, like something like Game of Thrones kind of does, uh, that it's difficult to get into. So like, it's very, very accessible. Yeah. 
Um, and I think one of the ways like it's so accessible is the is the characters. Like Chris Pine uh, is incredibly charismatic as as our lead Edgan. He just oozes charisma. Like he, he you're just constantly kind of interested in what he's doing. And those backstory is a little fuller than I probably expected. I kind of figured he'd just be kind of a loner, and he's actually got <laughs> a bit of an interesting something to him. Uh, he's partnered with Holga, uh, played by Michelle Rodriguez, who's this like you know brutish kind of take no nonsense barbarian, perfect. For michelle rodriguez to play right like this not not really thinking anything's particularly funny not taking the, no shit from nobody like great uh they've got justice smith uh who's this young up-and-coming sorcerer who's functionally just pretty bad at magic like he's not very good and he's a bit of a, a loser like and 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 everybody kind of knows it uh but Justin, chris pine like co constantly believes in him yeah <laughs> justice smith is the michael Sarah of our of this younger generation he, he's <laughs> He's like yeah. that that awkward wet blanket with the yes. heart of gold who meets. And he, he's, the funny, he's that same character in every movie. He, he's just like yes. that like terrified person who you but who you kind of still need on the team. He was that in Jurassic World Dominion, and then they like barely used him in the last Jurassic World movie because like he he stay. I don't know. I guess they couldn't work him in. Uh, but he's back, kind of doing the same thing. Uh, and Sophia Lillis is uh, Doric, a, a, a druid character who can turn into animals at will. Uh, something that I think is used effectively, though Sophia Lillis is, uh, she plays her character real close to the chest. But between the four of them, I think you get like a lot of good exchanges. Um, and you know, kind of, kind of, kind of just delightful time. They, they face off against uh, Hugh Grant's character, uh, who used to be a party member named Forge, uh, who's since gone on to do some kind of nefarious things but grant is playing it big as a villain he's doing like the paddington 2 thing which is fantastic like it's exactly exactly the tone he needs to have to play like a goofy <laughs> over the top kind of comedy villain that doesn't actually do all that much action because he's hugh grant right they're not going to have him like flipping over boxes or sword fighting um you know lots of lots of charm like oozes charm and that's exactly what he needs to have uh christine hot takes on our cast oh i i love the cast everybody plays it so well um you mentioned backstories uh which did make me laugh because that is a classic thing that uh, many DD players do is they create very elaborate backstories for their characters so it was very nice to like have those kind of inserted into the story at random we have some who have very very little backstory we get one or two lines we have others like our main character edgin who gets a whole monologue on what his backstory is. Um, so it, it is fun to kind of see that play out and to see how it interconnects with the story and how um, I keep bringing it back, but they do, they treat it almost like an actual like D and D campaign, which is incredibly fun for somebody who plays D and D and knows D and D that it, it recalls back to what you do at the table naturally. Right. There will be moments where our characters have like very triumphant victories and mm -hmm. also like embarrassingly sad losses. You're not twenties and you're not one rolls. <laughs> yeah. Like reflects the idea of rolling a high number in the game and doing well versus like rolling low and doing like horrifically poor. <laughs> um, and that makes for like good comedy moments that loosens it up. Uh, additionally, like there's just that right level of snark, like from all of our characters, they're just sarcastic enough to give each other a hard time and a bit of an, a bit of an elbow ribbing but nothing like overly mean, which I think is perfect for a party of individuals. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, do you, Andy? Do you know what this reminded me a lot of uh, that What's I think that? this might, might be kind of mapped after is the Wizard of Oz. Okay. You, ha <laughs> you, you have your four main characters who are all kind of searching for heart, home, courage, 
brains. Um, and then you have Forge's character is kind of the uh, the wizard, the man behind the curtain. It's not it's not one to one, but it's uh, it reminded me yeah, okay. a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, I, I I like your comparison of like immediate characteristics for your for your party. Like I said, I I, I thought of a bit like Ghostbusters and Chris Pine's Peter Frankman, like who's just kind of like yeah, I come up with a plan, but like never really has anything tangible to offer. But he's like the charisma, right? Like I I I really got a kick out of that, and I also compared it to. Um, of all things snakes on a plane which sounds silly <laughs> but hear me out snakes on a plane is a movie that like pretty much plays it straight they never have anybody look and wink at the camera they expect the audience to get the joke that like you know you're watching a movie called snakes on a plane right and like they don't need to show you that on screen they can just like you can feel it as you watch it and like dungeons and dragons honor among thieves walks that line perfect like it, it, it lets you know that like, hey, this is a joke, right? And we're all getting kind of a laugh out of this. And we're here to have a fun time at the movies. And like in that way, similar to like John Wick, like it undeniably is a fun time at the movies. Like it's a little silly what you're watching, but you know that going in. Like, you know, you knew that when you bought the ticket, you know, I don't think anybody expects it to be Return of the King. And it's not trying to be like, it's just trying to be a fun two hours, which for the most part it does. Although it does feel a little long at, at a couple points. It, it does kind of begin to stretch out a little bit in the second act. It is two hours and 15 minutes. It feels about 15 minutes uh, too long. And, and it turns into a little bit of a fetch quest. You know, you got to do A before you can do B. And then you got to do, well, we actually need to do C before we can do B. And it does that a little bit, which I think is probably in the spirit of what you do in the game. You go through various dungeons. Uh, but it, it does get a little long in the, in the tooth, but just in the second act. Christine, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask about like kind of some direct comparisons to the game. I know people have said there's a lot of Easter eggs like oh. that come from the game that like Andy and I probably missed. Uh, I mean, any you want to share without giving anything away? I, like, no, I, I don't sure. know. What, what do you think? Um, so if you've seen the trailers, you've seen, you know, and you are a hardcore D&D fan, you've seen a lot of the thing. Like, obviously, there's a dragon. There are a couple of other like creatures and beasts that you might see um, in one of the trailers. There's a mimic, which is basically like a box that's a monster, really. Um, but some of my favorite things um, that I think what I when I caught them, I was very proud of myself for catching them um, were things. There is a, a critical role, which is a uh, big like D and D uh, channel essentially where a bunch of voice actors get together and they play in real life. Um, it's huge within the D and D community, but there's a critical role reference at one point in time uh, The justice Smith's character does uh, right towards his introduction. Um, so just critical role fans, keep your ear out for that. Um, mm -hmm. Justice Smith's character also carries around a, a bag of holding. Um, he is constantly being like handed things and Edgen constantly hold this take this, take this. And they're being like handed to yeah. Justice Smith. And you're like, they're big things that Justice is having to hold. And so um, he's he's just putting them seemingly nowhere because they just sort of disappear from his person. Um, but if you catch when they're running at any point of time or when there's kind of a party wide shot, um, he definitely has a bag of holding on his hip, which is kind of a nice little like, ah, there it is. Um, and another really fun part without getting into spoilers, um, there is that classic puzzle feature uh, that at one point in time, one of the characters kind of is like, we have to 
only go on the odd steps and then you have to move laterally and then you have to go backwards and retrace your steps so they're only even steps and then move laterally and that's very much like at the table you're trying to figure out these things because your your dungeon master is going to throw puzzles at you um so that was a really funny scene where i was just like huh as a player, I would be very frustrated with this puzzle, and the way that the movie uh, uh, solves it is is very funny. So those are some of my favorite little Easter eggs to watch out for. But obviously, there's a lot more if you're a big hardcore fan, and I hope you catch them all. There's like 38. That actually reminds me of like this really charming element in the D and D movie where uh, our characters will like suggest ways to solve a problem and mm-hmm. some of the suggestions are like completely off the wall you know, <laughs> right? oh yeah like, or oh, others yeah. will be like really clever and, and like in a way that's so clever like nobody would ever think to go that way and like that is very much reflective of yeah like solutions at the table and somebody's like well, yeah. how are we going to steal this bag of gold from this from this lord well we could rob him in the night or we could sneak into his place and take it or we could plan a little heist and get it from you know like that actually makes for a really fun time and gives your characters like a lot of room and creative space to mm-hmm. grow, I think, is like lift them off the screen and make them a little larger than life. And like ultimately, that's something this movie does really well. Like it, it makes everybody feel big. It makes the world feel surprisingly like robust. Um, mm-hmm. You could totally see them making another one of these. Like in the same vein, same world, same sense of humor. Like I think Jonathan Goldstein, John Francis Daly may have cracked the code a bit on like what kind of cinematic voice and audiences. Um, this might be the way to go. Any other thoughts? I think uh, I'm ready. Uh, Andy? Uh, I would definitely recommend this uh, to most people, uh, friends and family of all ages. It's a lot of fun. There's good, good performances. It's funny. It's lighthearted. It's both. It strikes a good balance where it's not too serious or also too lame or, or just too casual very accessible and i was thinking about this you know with family films being out right now the other big one is shazam but i would much rather take people to see this than to watch shazam fury of the gods so highly recommend uh christine would you recommend the D movie rolls a natural 20 in my eyes so wow look at that i, I look love that, that. <laughs> she's a natural boy yeah you should have been podcasting since day one <laughs> perfect you should get your, you should start your own show um yeah i i would say the same i think the indie movie is like surprisingly fun i was definitely skeptical i think the first time i saw a trailer i was like ah, i don't know it seems a little ham-fisted um, but come trailer two, I was a bit more charmed, and I'm pleased to say that like it is better than it looks. Like it, the D and D movie is surprisingly fun. Take it easy, kick back, relax with a bucket of popcorn, uh, and watch Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves. With that, we need to move into our next segment. Uh, normally, this is where we talk about what's killing cinema or uh, some upcoming trailers. But I need to ask our wonderful guest, Christine. Do you want to stick around and talk about some trailers? Do you want to get out of here? Where are you at? I'll go ahead and talk about trailers, and then I'll dip after after that if that's cool uh andy what do we call this segment it's time for the trailer park perfect so how do we want to split this up because normally we just kind of go back oh you already got it i'm talking about asteroid city so (laughs) andy's on the outline Uh, so asteroid city uh, is the new wes anderson feature who's reportedly putting out two movies uh this year uh asteroid city stars jason schwartzman bill murray tom hanks uh and a host of wes anderson 
classics. Yeah, they've been in a Wes Anderson movie. They're probably in this one. Uh, Owen Wilson, Tilda Swinton, uh, Jeffrey Wright. I can't even think of everybody. Uh, Scarlett Johansson. But Scarlett Johansson. Uh, Asteroid City is a movie about a father uh, with a couple of kids who I think their car breaks down on the side of the road and they end up in a small town in what looks like rural Utah out in the desert called Asteroid City, where uh, an asteroid fell years ago. But while they wait out there for the car to get repaired, some strange happenings are afoot. Uh, and they discover that not all, not is as all it seems in Asteroid City. This is a Wes Anderson movie. If anything, I've been seeing it getting roasted for looking like the most Wes Anderson movie ever. My <laughs> man has a style. He shoots one-point perspective. He puts all these pastel colors. It's his whole thing. Andy, what do you think? I'm a little conflicted on Wes Anderson because every movie does look the same. He does a lot of the same stuff. And there's you know where the line is between style and then just redoing something you've already done is, is hard to decide but the the content of his films is usually really unique and he usually it does explore different themes in each movie they just all kind of look and sound the same that's the only thing that i don't like uh this looks fun it looks entertaining it's got an amazing cast uh, i'll go through this jason schwartzman scarlett johansson tom hanks jeffrey wright tilda swinton brian cranston edward norton adrian brody lee schreiber hope davis and there's still more. Uh, it's just this massive uh, cast. Uh, it, it looks fine. I just wish he would do something else. Like, that's great. He's, you know, created this, uh, you know, his creative style is very unique. But I would love to see him grow and change and do something new. So I hear you and I totally agree. Uh, but I definitely have consumed the Wes Anderson Kool-Aid and I think this is great. <laughs> he should never change. The thing is, like, I, I, I've got a weird relationship with directors who are super stylistic, right? Because on the one hand, you want them to do something new, but on the other hand, you never want them to get too far from where they came from. When I think of Wes Anderson, I think of like Tim Burton, who like for years was making like very unique features. Nobody else made a Tim Burton movie like Tim Burton. I don't know if anybody can. Um, but now he doesn't do that at all. And he's completely fallen out of it. And like in a weird way, I miss it. Like I miss weird, gross, dark movies, right? Like I miss that Sweeney Todd aesthetic. And I, I hope he comes back to it at some point. Wes Anderson has just kind of gone the opposite way. He's got a style and by God, he's not changing it. <laughs> and nobody else does it the way he does it. Uh, he's like he's like Michael Bay, right? Like in a weird way, I kind of respect that. Uh, obviously, Michael Bay has grown. He's doing other stuff now. He's doing drone shots, but I, I think it looks cool. Hey, Christine, thoughts on Asteroid City? Oh, I'm I'm excited to see it. I like like Zach. I'm a more recent uh, Kool Aid drinker of Wes Anderson, but I absolutely love him. Um, I'm super excited about the cast. It looks a lot of fun, and honestly, instead of getting that. Yes, there are pastels, but we're getting something out in the desert, and that seems a bit more like kind of mystery and a little, honestly, a little bit more horror, dare I say? Maybe. Definitely, definitely uh, like lots of folk music, right? Yeah. Like lots of whistling. You know, that, that's something I would love love to see. I actually, did, like a horror movie in the Wes Anderson style. I oh think it'd it probably was, be amazing. I, I, honestly, yeah. It, it might be this the way that I the vibes that I was getting from it might be a little bit I don't know that's just what I was Maybe. thinking but we'll yeah. see. <laughs> uh, Andy, what's next? Blue Beetle. So this is a DC property superhero uh, that is coming out in August, and uh, this was supposed to go straight to HBO Max, but uh, they put some more money behind it. If we're going to be doing a theatrical release, uh, we meet a teenager 
uh, Jaime Reyes, played by Zolo Maradueña, who is kind of complicated, but he gets like, he discovers some nanotech at like some firm he works at. He gets like bitten by this scarab beetle and he becomes the superhero, the blue beetle. This looks like an action fam comedy family film also stars, uh, George Lopez and Susan Sarandon. Uh, this looks a little bit like a Disney plus show. Uh, definitely has that straight to streaming look. Uh, but it's hard to tell. I, I can't, can't tell, you know, it may have a lot of heart may have a good script. Um, it looks all right. We'll see. It's it's an August release that's usually coming off the tail of, of summer. So it, it might be a good, good place for it. Yeah, I'm in the same boat on Blue Beetle. Like on the one hand, it's easy to be skeptical and be like, oh, this just looks like any other any other comic book movie. Uh, but on the other hand, it definitely looks a little unique. And like, I think unique voices need to be in the comic book space, like probably now more than ever when things are feeling really samey. Uh, we know since James Gunn took over uh, DC Universe that this movie is one of the last in the current kind of DC arc. And they're going to be wildly pivoting to change course. So I don't know if there's any longevity in Blue Beetle. But but for what it's worth, like, I don't know, man, like maybe it's got a great script. Like maybe it's super funny, you know, like maybe there's something here that like is really special because, yeah, on the one hand, it's unique. On the other hand, it's a little Spider-Man, right? Like you get bit by a weird bug and turn into a thing. Yeah. I know it like it's like his, tech suit. his body. It's a, yeah, it's like a different thing. Like and I respect that. There's also much more of a lean on family. I, you know, Uncle Ben and Blue Beetle. Like I, I, I think in that way, like. I don't know. Maybe it'll be good. Like, shoot, I, I've been I've been surprised before. Like, it, maybe they're put in theaters because I don't know. I got a test screening and they thought, oh snap, this is actually a good movie. Uh, Christine, what do you think? Blue Beetle. Um, I definitely like the diversity that we're finally seeing from the DC universe, considering we've had that in Marvel for a while now. But it just it looks like a good little action flick. Like Andy's right, off the tail end of summer, it's it looks like a good little action flick. That's pretty much all my, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. And and speaking of like a good little action flick, uh, a comic book film with some diversity that I'm very excited to talk about. Uh, we got to talk about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. So there's a new trailer for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse now. We've already seen one. This one's got a bit more detail, gets a bit more into the plot, characters, reveals Oscar Isaac's character as Spider-Man 2099. Uh, it is the continuing the story of Miles Morales, mild-mannered new, new York kid uh, who has recently become Spider-Man uh, in the events of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse uh, and is now a few years older uh, and is, is a bit more stressed because he's realizing, like all Peter Parkers, that being Spider-Man sucks and nobody likes it <laughs> and it's a very hard job uh and it's then when he uh, is pulled into the multiverse uh, by an old friend and discovers that not only are there many spider-men uh but that one in particular has a real problem with them and i don't really know a lot about it but i know that's what's going on andy what do you think of this trailer Man, this looks so good. This is one of the movies I'm so excited for. I love the first uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse uh, film from several years ago. It won Best Animated Feature that year at the Oscars. It, it just, it's. I love the the art style. We're gonna get way more Spider persons than than we did in the previous film. And uh, it's going to star Oscar Isaac, who's kind of a good guy and bad guy. He he is a Spider-Man himself, but he also uh, he doesn't want, um, at least from the trailer, he doesn't want the Spider-Man we know uh, played by Ma 
Miles Morales to kind of go back home. He's like, no, you, we, we need you for something. And if you go back home, it's going to ruin like the multiverse or something. And so he's trying to prevent him. So it actually creates this civil war kind of Spider-Man versus Spider-Man uh, conflict that that's brewing. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Steen. I full heartedly agree with Andy. I'm 110% behind this film. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, I think it's going to make a bunch of money. Yeah. It'd be great. Um, one more on here, Andy. You want to tell people what this is? All right. We got a full trailer for Barbie, the the film, live action film based on the popular to- toy by Mattel. Uh, we had seen a very, very short trailer before that had a great 2001 in introduction. This time we get a full trailer. We don't really get a lot of plot, but we get a good view of the world and the cast. And this movie is so much bigger than we had originally thought. There were so many people and it's got a huge class. Uh, cast including, of course, Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, but also Helen Mirren, Will Ferrell, Michael Sarah, Emma Mackey, uh, Simu Liu, Dua Lipa, Kate McKinnon. I mean, there is just a million and one Barbies and, and Ken's in this. And it just looks really fun. And like the world is eye popping. It looks like the Mario movie, but in live action, like everything is just this hot neon pink and... I think it's going to be massive and it comes out the same weekend as Christopher Nolan's movie Oppenheimer. And I, I think Nolan's in some real danger of getting crushed by this. Cause Ju- like the hype is in orbit. Yeah. July 21st, both Oppenheimer and Barbie come out, which is insane. Uh, I, I also think it will pull numbers from Oppen- Oppenheimer. If Oppenheimer picked a different weekend, I think it would do better, but it's fine. Uh, Barbie looks like a ton of fun. Uh, it's coming from Greta Gerwig, uh, who we most recently saw direct Little Women, uh, which was actually really good. Uh, she wrote the script along with Noah Baumbach, longtime collaborator, who was the director and writer of Marriage Story, who we also watched on this show. Both those episodes you can go back and listen to. But Barbie looks great because it has exactly that level of like tongue in cheek that the Dungeons and Dragons movie has. Maybe even more so because I think it's got a bigger budget and it's certainly got a bigger cast. Uh, Ryan Gosling is a delight. My man, my man has comedy chops, and everybody who doesn't believe it, like, dude, you you missed out. He's so funny. Margot Robbie is great. Simu Liu looks fantastic. I can't wait to watch Issa Rae as President Barbie. Like, it's gonna be <laughs> awesome. Even, even Will Ferrell as like evil businessman, right? Like, it's gonna be great. Like, I, he's I back as Lord I, Business. He's back as Lord Business. I have not seen a bad trailer for this yet. I will be so crushed if that movie comes out to horrible reviews or something because like it looks like it has everything going for it. Christine, what do you think? Oh, I'm in love with it. I I have seen the posters first before I watched the uh, trailer, and the cast alone is absolutely stunning. Uh, I think the hits for me were Kate McKinnon as the Barbie that could do the splits, and uh, Nicola Colin as the Barbie, this Barbie is a diplomat. Um, it looks highly feminist and so fun. And I'm, I'm just, I love Greta Gerwig. So I'm just super freaking excited for this one. Not to mention, uh, I saw in the cast list, Hari Neff, a uh, prominent trans actress who Andy and I last saw in Assassination Nation. who was yes. super good in that movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like she, she's, a, she's one of the Barbies. I'm like, man, this is she's, great. This like, I can't wait to go watch Barbie. Yeah. Uh, I don't know which one I'm going to see first that weekend. Like, I don't, (laughs) 
I mean, how could you pick right between Barbie and Oppenheimer? Like, which one it's, gets your favor? It's got to be Barbie, man. It's going to be it's honestly. What we need to do? We need to we need to get tickets to Barbie and see if we can lock down like a weekend showing for IMAX Oppenheimer. That's the money. Like, yeah, that's that, that's for sure. It, it's yeah. one of those things though. It it it's going to be the perfect storm of a summer movie because it it definitely has a lot of family appeal. So you're going to be able to get younger demographics as well as you know anyone who's ever played with a Barbie in the last sixty years. Yep. Uh, so you're going to get everyone. Oppenheimer is going to be a lot more targeted. It's a more adult, mature movie. <laughs> what do you want to go see? Like the fun, bubbly, like com comedy for starring Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie or like the invention of the atom bomb and the horrors of death incarnate. Like Chris Nolan is going to be so pissed if Barbie just steamrolls his movie. Oh my God. I can't wait. The, pre the, the content's going to be amazing. Um, with that, we should probably move on to our next film. I'm very, I'm actually really excited to talk about this one. If you stuck with us through here, please listen. This is a super cool doc. But Christine has not seen it, so I should ask her to leave. Thanks for joining the show, Christine. I appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I will see you in a few minutes when we're done with the episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye, all. All right. Andy is taking the summary on this one. Excited to hear what he has to say. Andy, please take it away. Navalny. If you are killed, what message do you leave behind to the Russian people? So this is the recent Oscar winning documentary about Alexei Navalny, who is the Russian opposition leader to Vladimir Putin. Uh, this was directed by Daniel Rohr and is a CNN film and documentary. Um, and it's absolutely fascinating. If you don't know, Alexei Navalny was uh, poisoned on a flight or after coming back from somewhere in Siberia to kind of more central Russia. Um, the plane does an emergency landed. He eventually gets taken to a hospital in Germany to, re to recover. He does. And uh, then he kind of goes on a mission with some other organizations to try to track down who's responsible. We, they pretty sure it's Putin, but uh, they try to find out who is exactly involved. And it's an incredible documentary with really stunning footage. A lot of it's in like 4K. You get this really sharp stuff. And it's all about this real life spy, uh, just spy crafts, trade craft. I mean, the, the, a team of spies was put together to... Uh, uh, poison him and to kind of get close to him without any anyone knowing but it's also about like the buffoonery of behind like any job there's a there's always a bunch of idiots and it's no different in like the intelligence and spy world you get people making real dumb mistakes and and that's how how people get caught uh but it's pretty amazing documentary and i i was into it uh the whole time just one best documentary at the 2023 oscars Zach, what'd you think? Man, it's funny you say you were into it the whole time, because I'll be honest, like the first the first bit of Navalny, probably the first act, I was not so into it. Um, because it feels far away. Like Navalny opens with like characters in Russia, right? And like I don't know a lot about Russia, but I know it's kind of a mess. And I know they're swinging on Ukraine right now and they're at war, and that's a whole thing. And it just starts off with this guy in a bar, right? Alexei Navalny. And you're like, okay, what, what's this guy's deal? Okay, he almost got assassinated. Well, that's terrible. He's alive. So you already know the ending to this story. Now, how did it happen? But like, is Navalny starts to like tug on that string a little bit, just pull on that thread of like, how does somebody 
almost get assassinated but survive and then who tried to assassinate him and then how they do it and then what do you mean that probably came from their government you start to realize that like alexei navalny is not simply like a man who survived an assassination attempt he's the leader of an opposition party to a country that very much does not want opposition at all like uh, russia is not a demo is not a democracy like they do not believe in the voices of the people like they're an aristocracy or an autocracy i'm not even sure um but what they are is run by vladimir putin who very much does not believe in the opposition party and has no interest in Alexei navalny rising to any kind of power uh, the doc trailer explains that they won't even say his name the kremlin won't even speak the name Alexei navalny uh, but he is very much the leader of a large group of people we see him at rallies we see him at at, at large events or, or organized events where he's speaking into a megaphone about the problems with russia and how he wants things to change and what's shocking is Navalny so perfectly not only solves the question of who attempted assassination on Alexei Navalny, leader of the opposition party, but also raises the question, what does that mean for Russia? And what does that mean for like a nation of people who aren't heard? And what does that mean for this guy who not only is supposed to be their voice, but is a father and a husband? and like was nearly killed and since has, has has to go back to his country that very much is hostile towards him to try to fight this good fight that he believes in like it raises him on a pedestal that i didn't expect and by the end of the third act while i started the film mildly interested like i could not look away from the screen like demands attention right S sat me up in my chair this doc is so cool, dude. It's so cool. I'm so glad we watched it. This is the kind of bold cinema we need on this show. Um, so I'm excited to talk about Navalny. Andy, I was way too long of an intro for me. Where do we start? <laughs> uh, well, we can start with a little bit of our plot outline. So it starts with a, a very kind of frank question, uh, an interview with Navalny where, where they say, you know, do you have a, a message for the people if you are killed, <laughs> if you end up dead? And he's like, yeah, whoa, whoa, give me a give me a, give me a second. Uh, but basically he is uh, he goes out to kind of rural si Siberia for a political rally. And on the flight back, he becomes really ill on, on the plane. And, and there's footage, uh, a cell phone footage of, of him uh, like yelling, kind of moaning in, in pain. Um, the plane ends up making an emergency landing. Uh, and he's taken to a Russian hospital, which is not not real safe. Uh, eventually, they get they get him out, and he goes to a German hospital to to recover, um, which which ended up saving his life. And this was what kind of foiled the whole plan was that uh, they if the plane hadn't stopped, they assumed he was just going to die on the plane because the poison was going to take enough time. But since it made the emer emergency landing, uh, he was able to survive. And then, like I said, the the kind of second act is the the search. Uh, we meet some fascinating characters who who work in information brokerage and who know a guy who knows a guy or can find a guy to pay a guy to give us get information we need. And that's one of the the really fascinating parts of spy work is really about finding the person who knows something and paying them and giving, giving them money. A lot of it's very crude, crude in that that sense. It's not, you know, Mission Impossible, fake disguises, sneaking into offices and, and things like that. But it's. And it's just incredibly fascinating. What did you think? 
Yeah, one of the like most interesting trappings of this film is its setting. Russia feels like an alternate dimension because it's like so close to the world you and I know, right? People are on iPhones and they have the internet and they are coffee shops, right? Like in cars and like it is it is the world as we know it. Russia is is uh, not all that dissimilar, at least in size, to the United States. So you can understand that parts of their government have to trickle down to kind of the normal culture that you see in this film, right? Like people on the street, like going to work right going home kids hanging out at playgrounds like it's not all that different but then you start to see kind of like the finer trappings of what's under the surface like publicly accessible records of like what would normally be private information uh, uh people being able to like discern uh, uh secrets right uh, spycraft like from very easily accessible like data brokers who will just sell you information over the phone like with just the exchange of a credit card like it is so close to the world we know but it's like it's like looking through a a a, a looking glass to an alternate dimension and i think what's so great about the first half of this movie is that you do get some genuine spycraft like you get Alexei Navalny and his team like genuinely investigating. How did this happen? Who was on the plane? Well, let's see if we can get the flight manifest. Oh, we can. Okay. Who was on there that checks out with this other record that we have? Okay. Well, what if we talk to this person? And like the first half of this, like 90 minute doc, it's, it's a very efficient documentary. Like is, I think it's 90 minutes. Now that I say that, I don't actually know. It's a little bit longer, hundred, hundred. A little bit longer. Uh, It's fine. Uh, The first half of it, like, is a really interesting dive into what the hell happened? How did it happen? Can it be stopped if it happens again? You know, what what kind of danger are this man and his family actually in? And it turns out, like, they're in very real danger. But the answers aren't all that far away. And I was stunned at how far they got in the dock. Like, getting to the bottom of this it's, it's it's wild footage genuinely great content yeah but one of the things they talk about is that you know n- the russian government will not help them with this investigation at all obviously or any organization you know they can't get uh files they can't get records they can't get cctv footage all that stuff is locked down and no no one's getting it but you know they, they do bring up that you know everyone who kind of guards a lot of that stuff is like a minimum wage employee or not that far off and if you can just get in contact with the right person and this is where they use this really fascinating concept of information brokers where uh, this organization finds a guy in the dark web and says hey we need a flight manifest phone records uh, hotel records um can you get it and how much does it cost and i mean they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars for for this kind of information um but then they do and they eventually cr- cross-reference out uh, all of it and find out who's responsible. And it's an amazing thing. And also <laughs> how amazingly idiotic a lot of this spy stu- stuff is. Sometimes he tells this great story of Moscow four where uh, someone high up in the government had their account hacked because the password was Moscow one. So then he changed it to Moscow two and it was, then he got hacked again. So he changed it to Moscow three, got hacked again, changed it to Moscow four, got hacked again. So it's like they, they take some, some gambles on kind of how incompetent some of these people are. And, and uh, it's just fascinating that it works. Yeah. And one of the things I think that really helps it feel grounded is like just how tangible um, a lot of like Navalny's team's work is being that they're functionally like a campaign office for like a better, brighter Russia. Um, they do a lot of work on like TikTok, 
like they'll be shooting a TikTok and then you'll see it posted, you know, they're, they're posting content to YouTube, like they're streaming on Twitch. I think at one point he's on Twitter. Like you just see like very tangible social media engagement, like with what they're doing. That is how he speaks to the people. So watching that stuff, like you can see it through your lens in America here. You can see how it looks on our side and how you would see this person as functionally a political figure, right? Just like anybody else who's campaigned for office. The difference is like how, how harrowing that is like in Russia, like in another country where you don't have a lot of the same, you're not afforded a lot of the same uh, protections protections that you get here in the United States. And that's chilling. Like, because while the first half of this is, you know, an interesting and albeit gripping dive into uh, just what happened and the truth, like the second half of this doc takes a harrowing turn because it reminds us that like, not only is Navalny a real person, like he's got a kid, man, like who they interview for the, for the, for the movie. And his, his wife is there and he's in exile and he has to go back to Russia. I should say, I say exile. He's, he's really kind of just not in Russia for his own safety, but ultimately like he has to go back to the people. And like, what does that mean? Like when this man has to go back to a country that half the people want him and half very much don't are willing to kill him. Like it's horrifying. It's terrifying. Like the implications of that. Yeah. I, I was actually reminded. Uh, I mean, I, I was reminded of Nelson Mandela and that's not a comparison I make lightly at all uh, about anyone, but um, he's r- really, he cares about his country and, you know, ideally he, he could probably stay in exile and claim as- asylum. And maybe that was the point, uh, but he chooses to, to go back um, for the country and for, for the people um, know, knowing he could very well be, be killed and targeted again. Uh, yeah. And also, also his his family. Yeah, I wanted to mention his family is in the document quite quite a bit. It, they because they have footage from like the minute he's been poisoned, while and when he's first taken to a Russian hospital, and his wife uh, Yulia is there instantly trying to get him out, trying to see him, and like the doctors won't see him, and they'll be like, no, no, he's just, he's still recovering. We can't can't take him out. It's not safe. Um, his daughter Dasha is also uh, she speaks a lot in the documentary. Just. Uh, about the situation you see her in a lot of the footage as well so his family is very much at the forefront of this too they're not in the background at all and i mean they're very much uh not only potential victims of uh you know these kinds of assassinations too but they're very much going to be affected by whatever happens to him and it's it's an even more dangerous position to be in i think one of the things that really surprised me about this um as I kind of, as I kind of wrap up, cause I don't want to give too much away uh, is how well this movie like transcends language. Um, it's not easy for any film to do. Uh, most recently a film that did it that I really enjoyed was drive my car uh, out of Japan. <laughs> uh, but this movie does like a really fantastic job of stepping through like the Russian language into giving you like really tangible explanations like and really feeling like the feelings that our characters are experiencing because they're not just characters they're they're very much real people and this is real stuff that's happening to them which is terrifying um there's a great bit of imdb trivia that i found uh, for this movie uh when they were filming one of probably the best scenes not only in this doc but probably one of the best doc scenes i've ever seen ever um when navalny's team are are uh, on the phone and they're talking to um one of his claimed assassins they're having a phone call directly with this person navalny's talking to him under the guise of being somebody else and you're, you're finding out incredible bits of information uh, the director daniel rower uh, speaks no Russian. 
does not speak a word of Russian. And he's rolling the camera on them, watching them as their faces are just like, their eyes are widening and their jaws are dropping. And he's like, oh my God, something huge is happening here. And like, I can't, I, I don't know what it is yet, but like, it's going to become clear to me. And like, I think that's a great metaphor for like what this movie is doing. It's, it's a murky story, but boy, like as soon as you start it and you start to kind of learn more about who this person is and what's going on, like it's really incredible work. There's a reason this one best Oscar. Uh, it's really something else. Yeah, it, it's like I said, some really harrowing footage. I can't believe a lot of it. I can't believe so much of it's so clear as well. Like I said, a lot of 4K footage, um, yeah. thing, things from, and a lot of it's from the the past two years. It, it's very, very recent. And I was thinking when I, th when I think of documentaries, a lot of times I think of things that are like older, grainy, like, you know, 90, 1990s camcorders kind, kind of footage. Um, but it's all very recent. It's, you know, pro camera footage. It's cell phone footage. Um, iPhone footage, that sort of thing. Uh, it's it's really fascinating and, and paints this this portrait of this political figure uh, who was very blatantly, uh, you know, attempted assassinated by a major world power. It's insane. Yeah, it, it really is something else. Uh, solid recommendation from Andy for the show. Andy, great pick. I don't know how you found it. Um, well done, though. I feel like most people <laughs> have not heard of this movie. Like, I, I, I don't know. No, well, and um, a lot of times the the documentaries are it's easy to slip by, and we don't really hear a lot about them. I don't think I'd heard of any of the ones that that were nominated for for best picture this year. Definitely hadn't seen them. Uh, but I, I once this one, and I I had heard a review about it and heard that it was a great documentary. I definitely wanted to check it out. Andy, would you recommend Navalny? Absolutely. It's kind of a, a must watch because you can see what happens when uh, you don't have the protections or when the government just kind of kind of runs too far and becomes an authoritarian state, which is kind of what's happened in Russia and that you have this very brave individual putting himself and his family at risk, willing to stand up and, and fight that uh, and even risking his, his own life. Um, and like I said, it's an eye into spycraft tradecraft uh how these uh foreign governments uh, operate in their, their attempt to to assassinate someone it's not like mission impossible or something like that it's much more clandestine it's it's also a lot more sloppy frankly a lot and like, it must have blown their minds to see like to see when they gathered like because the, they found like the the team of spies who who likely poisoned him they find these guys names their photos their addresses but there's a great scene where they go to one of their a camera crew goes to their apartment knocks on the door and it's just like that that's pretty embarrassing yeah navalny's excellent like i can't believe andy's right i can't believe how much like tangible palpable footage they have of these events you're not just like they're not just telling you hey we figured it out you're watching them the moment they figure it out like almost every step of the way like you you are actively seeing in real time the events as they are uncovered and unfold like really fantastic work uh, i can't believe how good this movie is i think it's totally a must watch uh, if you have the ability if you're at all interested in documentaries or just, you know, global politics, uh, what's happening in Ukraine. Like, please watch Navalny. Navalny. God, I keep keep saying it wrong. I want to know what's wrong with me. But excellent doc. I, I, I got to recommend this to some people in my life. But uh, speaking of recommendations, Andy, what are we watching next week? So it's a big Easter weekend, and we have a number of films. The big release is the Super Mario Brothers movie, which is actually in theaters tomorrow, Wednesday. Um, I think anticipation of the long weekend 
also re releasing or is air the nike uh foundation movie directed by ben affleck that comes out also on wednesday in theaters and uh <laughs> russell crowe's terrible looking uh religious horror movie the pope's exorcist comes out this friday uh we won't be watching those we're going to be watching the super mario brothers movie and we're also going to be looking at a film on amazon prime called gangs of lagos and uh, the way I've, I heard about this is that uh, there's been this discussion ab about how a lot of Western and European film has overlooked uh, African cinema, and which is apparently a very big and bustling industry, primarily in uh, Nigeria. So there's there's a whole um, big industry there, and so this film Gangs of Lagos was something that I saw recommended as a good example of nigerian film <laughs> filmmaking and so we're going to be watching that and that's on amazon prime comes out this friday was admittedly skeptical about gangs of lagos but since andy explained it to me I, I think it does sound like a good watch who knows man like i look i didn't think rrr was going to pop on this show and it's one of those popular reviews we've ever done all right we are going to platform bold cinema wherever it comes from and who knows maybe it'll be great it'll be on amazon prime and also super mario brothers movie which uh i'm very excited about although Honestly, surprised. Andy, have you seen any of these rotten scores? I did actually just catch the Super Mario Brothers one. What is happening? But here, here, here's the thing. This movie, they're talking it's going to make like $250, oh. $300 million this weekend. Yes. Um, it's going to be a massive hit. It doesn't matter how good or bad the, the reviews are. It's, it's going to be massive. I'm on the hype train for Billy. Billion dollars, I think this movie's making. Like, I don't know for sure, but I think, man, I think if it hits the international markets like Avatar 2 hit, oh my God. Like, it is unstoppable. Uh, so we'll see what happens next week on Off Script. And if you want to see what happens next week on Off Script, the best thing to do is just subscribe to the show or follow on whatever channel you're on, right? You'd subscribe on YouTube. You'd follow on Facebook. You get the idea. Uh, you can follow us on social media where we live stream our show on Facebook every every Tuesday around 5 o'clock uh, Central. We're on YouTube, upload our live streams after the fact. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Uh, we're in all those usual places. And you can check us out there. You can also follow us or subscribe to us on podcast platforms like iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or iHeartMedia. You may be listening to us on those right now. And if you are, hey, good to hear from you. Uh, thanks for checking out the show. We really appreciate it. If you want to write into the show, you can write us correspondence on any of those comment boards available to you on any of our platforms and or mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Com. That's our email address. Right directly to you boys. You can check us out online at offscriptfilmreview.com for more reviews, content, uh, interviews, all kinds of cool stuff. And of course, you can always find us right here on Offscript. Uh, with that being said, I think that covers all the bases. Episode 211 in the bag. Uh, uh, it's everything from Offscript, the home of bold cinema. I'm your host, Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.